Well, good morning and welcome to Willow Park Church. If it's your first time visiting us, we're delighted that you've taken the time uh, this morning to come and to worship with us, to join us and to be involved in our worship. Wasn't it great just to spend some time worshiping this morning and uh, celebrating uh, all that God is doing in our lives? It's wonderful. So well done there. If you've got a young person, they can follow Katrina. She's the one on the stage singing, and, um, and they'll have a, a terrific time. I know that the young people are starting um, Alpha Youth, not this week, but next week. So if you know any young people, uh, it's a great opportunity. Love the Alpha program. Love the fact that Alpha Youth is designed for young people, a great way of uh, engaging them. Tell families that may have teenagers Uh, and they want them to come to church and get involved. It's an ideal opportunity to do that. Thanks, Zach. Uh, To be able to step in and and get involved. Also, if you're new to Willow Park Church uh, and you want to get involved and you've come and you thought, I quite like it here. I'm sticking around. And uh, and that's nice if you are, uh, if you're nice. Uh, It'd be wonderful if you do. And so uh, I'm sticking around. Then you say, but where do I go? How do I get involved in Willow Park Church? I don't know. It seems, you know, this and that. Well, first of all, if you are a senior, instantly you can get involved on Tuesday night. Here at 7 o'clock with Pastor Curtis, he has him sing going on. And, uh, yeah, he's got his fans. There they are. And, and, and I'm often here and pop in and have a look and see. It's fantastic. You can meet other seniors. You can get connected in. Or maybe just like singing the old hymns. And you're that kind of person that's, oh, I want to sing the old hymns. Uh, well, we like to sing them as well. But uh, you get an opportunity to connect with our seniors ministry. And so I'm, I know that a lot of seniors don't like the word seniors ministry. And, and as a 56-year-old this weekend, and now I'm a senior at Denny's, um, I want to say I'm not so fond of it as well. Are you a senior? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit, it's, yes, okay, 55. What is Dennis trying to do to us? So, uh, but if you are seniors, I like some churches I read, they call the seniors the pillars ministry. The pillars of the church. Mm, That's a destiny I would like. What are you going to do in the future, Phil, when you retire? I'm going to be a pillar of the church. So so if you want to be a pillar of the church, then what we'd love you to do is, is get involved and be involved if you're a senior on Tuesday night. If you're a young adult and you're thinking, how can I get involved? Where can I go? Tuesday night as well. There's a young adults group. You can go straight there, get involved. Every Tuesday night, there is food, there is fellowship, there is fun, and there are lots of young adults, and you can get connected straight in there, straight away. And then you go, but what about if I'm not a young adult, and I'm not a pillar of the church? Where do I go? Well, you come here Monday night. And we've got groups set up. Last week we had six groups meeting for new people and for people who want to be in a small group. Of course, we can't meet in homes very easily because of the five-person restriction. But here we can meet 
freely. So you can come. I'm there. Pastor Jordan's there. Michelle's there sorting out everybody where they go and into their groups. And we'd love you to get involved straight away. That's those of you that are online that have joined us. Uh, we would be excited about that. And before I get into the message, let me just say thank you for those of you who uh, asked me how I was, doing well. Uh, last Sunday was a bit strange. I was ill. Uh, it's one of those moments, you know, in the, in the old days pre-pandemic, preachers used to come to church when they were sick, and we used to preach, and we'd, you'd go, oh, pastor was ill this morning, but he brought the word of God, oh, pastor nearly died this morning, but he brought the word of God, do you remember those days, amazing, these days, pastor's sick, if he dare come, you know, he's what he's trying to do, kill me, um, so we have to, you know, uh, be, be sensible in that. But I was uh, grateful for your kind wishes, joking apart. Colossians chapter 1. We're actually going to be in chapter 2, but let me just take a moment to run you through. We've been on the journey and we've realized that there's a great moment in the verses earlier to this, which is the poetic utterance of the Apostle Paul. Many people have wondered about this hymn. It starts off that he's the, Im- he's the, you know, the image of, of, of all, that, that he's supreme, that Christ is the image of all creation, that by him he holds all things together. The word in there has a kind of rhythm to it. It has a kind of creative rhythm. You can take those earlier verses in that hymn of praise, it's often called, or a poetry. People have said, well, perhaps, perhaps Paul took a hymn that the early church was singing and popped it in. But we've never been able to find that hymn anywhere. Perhaps he wrote a new hymn or it was a liturgical hymn that was being used of which they, he altered the words. Which would be a bit strange to do some writing knowing the brilliance of Paul and to alter the words of a well-known Christian him or liturgy. What I believe is that that opening statement there, that phrases about the supremacy of Christ, about that he holds all of creation together, about that he holds everything together and that he's the head of the church and therefore he has reconciled all things to himself through the blood of Jesus, is Paul's poetic power communicating in liturgical strength, declaring the supremacy of Christ Jesus to the world. And I guess that's where we want to be with our worship. Because where we want to be is we want to be a people who declare the glory of the God to the world. That in our praise we're declaring the supremacy of Christ. But Paul takes a moment to talk about his suffering. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up my flesh, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Can I just say that this is the most difficult verse to understand in the book of Colossians. Notice the word in, he says, I fill up my flesh, what is still lacking in regards to Christ's 
affliction. What a strange word. What does he mean? Well, you have to understand the context of how Paul is writing to understand this, because surely he's not saying that Christ did not achieve everything through the death of the cross and his atonement. No. What he's saying is, is this. I am suffering, I am going through a hard time, but my suffering will bring about the coming and the power of Christ again to this world. So I'm not suffering in this world for any for no reason, I am suffering in prison, I'm suffering because of what's been thrown against me, I'm suffering because my suffering is part of the process to bring the power of the Messiah into the world. You see, they believed, as Paul believed, as I believe, that through our lives and through the suffering, that what would happen would this would bring the Messiah. It was a well thought out kind of position within Jewish philosophy and idea. So he's not talking about that Christ didn't achieve all he achieved. What he's saying is my suffering has a reason and that reason is that eventually Christ will be glorified and the trumpet will sound and the glory of God will come and the dead in Christ will rise and he will be the reconciler of humanity and of all creation. So I can go through my suffering, I can face my pain, because I know that it's pushing towards what God's going to ultimately do. Now, how does that change our idea about pain? How does it change our idea about suffering? Oh, theologians have argued over that verse forever. I have become its servant by the commission of God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I'm, I'm here. I am a servant of God. My ministry is here. The highest calling I have is to serve Jesus. This whole section at the end of chapter one is about his glorious calling to serve God as number one. A calling that gets him out of bed in the morning. A calling that keeps him going. A calling that he feels so so compelled by, so motivated by, because Paul knows that the hope of the world is the message and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think today the church needs to get its teeth back. I think today the church needs to wake up. And when I say church, I don't mean Willow Park Church, but I mean churches that we need to get our confidence back in the power of the gospel to change the world, to change lives, to change countries, to change the way. Because absolutely the only thing that truly changes a human being is an encounter with the power of the living God. And he's saying, come on. I have become a servant by the commission of God and gave me to present to you the word of God in fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. What mystery is this? Well, the mystery, the plan of salvation. The mystery that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The mystery that came through the promise where the people were in 
Egypt, the plan that this people, this nation of priests would be come out out of Egypt. And at Sinai, they were commissioned as God's nation and God's people. And there they learned about the sacrificial system and to atone for their sins so they could keep being in right relationship with God. But, but they rebelled against God's plan. And God then sent one sacrificial lamb, one individual that would come and give birth to a new nation of priests, a new church, a new nation that would stand up for God. And you and I have been sprinkled with the blood of Lamb of Heaven, and you and I are that new nation. You are, you bear the name of God. Isn't that exciting? You bear the name of God. And in the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, now there is no mystery. Jesus Christ is the one who's revealed as the answer for the world. To them, God has chosen to make known amongst the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mission of the church. He is the one we proclaim teaching everyone with all wisdom. He was relentless in his desire to teach, relentless in the desire. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's worth pausing here before we jump into chapter two. Strenuously contend. Paul is talking about a process in his life whereby everything in his body aches. He is willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the sake of the ministry. He is willing to work hard. He is willing to have sleepless nights. He is willing to be, to be looked at in the most negative of ways. He is willing to battle. He is willing to push forward. It is this sense strenuous comes out in Colossians, again in different areas, but here it comes out that physically in his whole body, he is straining and carrying the weight of the ministry that God has called him to, a great high calling. He's suffering for it, but he is going to work hard. He is going to be devoted. He is going to strenuously contend. In other words, he is going to fight for the welfare of the birth of the church in the world. so much about the calling of ministry that God puts us on our lives by this statement. We learn that Paul suffered for his calling, but he was compelled to keep going. We learn that it's tough, and we learn that he uses Greek language that describes an utter, utter determination to the point where his body is breaking because he is willing to not give up on the message of the gospel, and you and I are the fruits of that labor today. When we look at what God has called us to do, and we look at what the Lord has asked us to lead, we look what the Lord has asked us to do in ministry and to serve so often 
it's easy to forget that Christian ministry and Christian calling is a struggle. It is a battle. We have an enemy and he's out there. But we have to decide, am I going to run for Christ or not? Am I going to keep going? So into verse 2, that was the introduction. Okay. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came this morning? I want you to know how hard I am contending. Hear that word again? And let me explain that word a little bit more for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Love this. The word contending and the contending we word is, comes from the Greek word agon. And the Greek word agon means to agonize over. So he's agonizing over his calling to ministry in the earlier verse. He now uses the word again, agon, to agonize, to say that I am struggling and I am agonizing over you, the little church in Colossae, which was destroyed by an earthquake that has never been dug up in the Lystra Valley in Turkey. And I am, I am struggling over you. I am contending for you at those in Laodicea. Now, how is he contending for them? Clearly, and we use the word later on in the letter in chapter 4 when he talks about Ephorus, who is contending in prayer, that Paul is contending for them in the spirit and believing God and praying that God will work with them. Not only is he contending physically ministry, but now he moves the idea that as, a, as an apostle, he is struggling and battling and fighting for them in prayer. The word contend also to agonize is linked to the word to wrestle. And I don't mean fake American wrestling, when people are jumping around on each other and they walk in in all their spandex and they're doing it all the, you know, yay, all of that, WWW something, what would Jesus not do? And all of that, no, not a chance. He is contending real wrestling, ancient Greek wrestling, ancient Roman wrestling where you, you, it was hand-to-hand combat. You would wrestle with each other. You did it naked. Don't think about that. That's enough there. You, you did it naked, but you struggled and you fought and you pushed and you went and you won't give up. The same word is used of the marathon runners from the Olympics in ancient Greece. I'm contending to you. I am wrestling with this issue because I do not want the church in Colossae to die. I want the church in Colossae to live. I'm going to keep praying. I don't even know who you are. I've never met you, but I love you and I'm going to pray for you. How many of us have been to that place where we've prayed for people we've never met, but we've contended with them? How many of you heard when the Taliban took over Afghanistan and there were hundreds, if not thousands of small micro churches that existed and we heard about the persecution? Did you not feel the contention fall on you? 
Did you not stop in your living room and find yourself on the knees before God? Did you not agonize over the church in Afghanistan, the baby, small church that does exist there, that is underground, that is being supported? Did you not feel the agony as the reports came out and you started to contend? Yes. If you did, you connected with Do you remember in the 70s when you contended for the church in Russia and you fought in prayer because you knew of the persecution? And when Brother Young came here and preached to a packed uh, house of 1,200 people and he spoke about the persecution in China, which is still taking place today, and your heart was touched, you'd never met the Chinese church, but you wanted to contend for them, right? That's good. That shows that you and I are alive. That shows that you and I are moving in the spirit of the New Testament. I have not met you personally. Are there moments when you hear of somebody's situation, you have not met them personally, but you find yourself praying for them all day? You hear about a child that's sick, You hear about an accident. You hear about a traumatic bereavement. You're woken up in the middle of the night and you start to pray. This is our Christian journey. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God within us. I'm only on verse 1. To my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know mystery of God, namely Christ. My goal is that they may be united in love. The, the word could also be in your, some of your other translations, knitted together in love. I love that. Don't you love knitting? I can knit, I confess to you. Honestly, if you gave me, I'd I'd probably need somebody to start me off again. Because that starting bit's always a bit difficult, isn't it? But I, I have, should not admit this to a group of Canadian hunters. Um, That is so Anglo-Saxon. Um, But I I do, I like knitting. I used to do it at school. I went to the knitting class. (laughs) Honestly, we had to do, well, they were doing jumpers. I managed the scarf, the most easiest thing. And even that was wonky. But the beauty of knitting something together is how it all stitches and stitches and works and knits. You were united in love is that you are knitted together. In other words, he wanted the church to be knitted together. That takes effort. It takes concentration. It takes you and I willing to work at every stitch, to look at the pattern that God is building, to see how we're coming together. And we need to protect the unity. 
because we are full of riches, complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Do you hear Paul's passion? From chapter 1, his passion is ministry. He is alive. In chapter 2, his passion is prayer. And he's alive. And his passion is that they may be have a full revelation and focus of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the aim of this passage. He wants the people to have a complete revelation and focus of Jesus Christ in their lives. He wants to see. You see, if you believe that Jesus is the supreme, that he holds all of creation together, if you believe that he is the head of creation, if you believe that he came to reconcile man and God together and that he also will come and reconcile whole of creation, if you believe that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the deliverer, if you believe all of that, he's saying, then it doesn't matter what trouble you're in. It doesn't matter what crisis you're facing. It doesn't matter what prison cell I'm sat in in Rome because at the end of the day I want you to love the Christ. I want you to love the people of God and I want you to love the church because when you focus on Jesus, whatever trouble you face, you can get through it because your eyes are focused on Christ. He's holding you. And he's saying, the full riches, understand. Get the treasure, the storehouse, understand, in whom you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Of course, there's a great great, uh, Hebrew tradition that the Lord calls the people of Israel his treasure. But I will you to know that what we want is to be on fire for God and that we that Jesus would be our treasure this is what it's about Jesus is our treasure wisdom and knowledge he is the one He is the one that we treasure. In him, in his storehouse, there is silver, there is gold, there is the glory of forgiveness, there is salvation, there is intimacy with God, there is connection with God. He is our treasure. I want you to get the impression from these verses, the way that Paul is writing, is that he is on fire here. He's not messing around. Because in a minute he's going to throw a left punch because he's pretty frustrated, not at the Colossians, but he's frustrated at those who are coming to take away the supremacy and the treasure of Christ. Because in the historical, geographical, kind of cultural context, the Gnostics and those of kind of Greek, um, Greek, Roman, Greek thinking believed that you would go like almost like a spiritual a spiritual video game 
that as you go from level to level to level, you will get your prizes, you will get your treasures. Like following God is a bit like trying to work your way through Mario Kart or something. You know, you do that with your grandkids, and I've done it with my kids, and I am absolutely hideous at it. And, and I'm there trying to follow this little thing, and it's, it's dreadful, and then you, ding, you get prizes and everything. There was a philosophy that you could hear the hiddenness, the, the, the hidden knowledge, and find the treasure somewhere beyond as you go up in different layers. And what Paul is saying, he is taking a little swipe at them. He's saying to them, there's no hidden knowledge. Jesus Christ is the treasure. Focus on Jesus Christ and everything in your life will fall into place. He's the treasure. He's the one. And you'll receive, he uses strategically the words wisdom and knowledge because the Gnostics were into wisdom and they were into knowledge. And even the extreme Jews were into the idea that there were certain things that people had to go through, mysterious levels of angels and angelology was very prevalent at this time. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. So at first glance, that looks like a nice verse about treasure. But second glance, you realize that he's trying to encourage them not to give in to false ideas about Jesus. And there are many false ideas about Jesus that are outside the orthodoxy of the church. There are many. I went to school with, uh, in my school in Britain, the school that I went to that was anthroposophical, you wouldn't know really what that means, but it was a form of education that was creative, but the philosophical view behind it was that Jesus was a great spiritual teacher that on his baptism became divine, that is false, and the founder of that movement, it is Incorrect because it takes away the power of the incarnation and realize whether it's the Mormons, whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses, whether it's the Christian science, one thing they have all in common, whether it's any cult, is that they always take away the supremacies and the centrality and the divinity of Jesus Christ. And you know when it's a lie, when it takes away who Jesus Christ truly is, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They always take it away. Because the philosophy that takes away the power of Jesus has no power to save a soul. So Paul is having this same argument. And it's very, you know, it's very challenging when you hang out with really nice people who actually don't believe that Jesus is God. And they are nice. I I used to have a hobby of trying to evangelize Mormons when I was 17. Did you ever have that hobby? They've got the same hobby with me. And, but I I like the boys from Utah. They come to England. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't understand us. It was brilliant. And, and then we'd, we'd get them round, try and give them a cup of coffee and tempt them. And, And then, you know, we'd talk about Jesus. 
And so I got really confused. I kind of go, well, you sound like you've got it right. And so I realized that there was a doctrine of divine lying to win the pagan in there. So they'll lie to you to win you. You see, Gnosticism and anything that takes away the centrality of Christ was a problem in the church in Colossae. And Paul's contending, even though he's never met them or seen them, because he cares for them and he wants them to grow in the treasure that is Jesus Christ. And there is as much need today to contend in prayer for the need of the Canadian church than ever before. And there's need today with progressive thinking that takes away the power of Christ. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I am delighted. You are firm. I watched the Western this last week when I was ill here. I watched Wyatt Earp, you know, with Kevin Costner. He's more convincing in that film than he is in Robin Hood, honestly. That was a disaster. It was a group of Americans in tights running around to Nottinghamshire. It was a disaster. It felt very strange. But, why Earp, you know, it's a proper Western. And, and you always got to have the moment where the tumbleweed runs across. And the danger is, is that our churches can become full of tumbleweed Christians. Because the key with a tumbleweed, it has no root, therefore it easily dries out, and then it blows everywhere. And Paul is saying you need roots. He's starting to use metaphors now that have a kind of root and foundation in the text. So then just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him. He wants every believer to go deep, to have deep roots. The rule of thumb with a, a tree, I am told, is that what you see above is the kind of root system below a lot of trees. So what we want to experience is, is that we want deep roots, spiritually. Paul wants them to be, to stay on course, to not drift philosophically or theologically, to keep the supremacy and centrality of Christ. And he wants them to be deep. It is our life mission all of us, to not coast in our Christianity, but it's our mission to go deep and have deep roots into our treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called to maturity. Every one of us is called to grow. Every one of us is called to go deep. Or a foundation, build up in him. 
strengthen in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I'm going to finish here. When there's apostasy, and apostasy is denying the reality and the position of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and King and Saviour, it's called apostasy. And apostasy was an issue in the early church as it is an issue in today's church where we become so progressive and going so far that we lose Jesus and Jesus is no longer Lord and King and Saviour, but Jesus becomes a really great guy who taught us how to live. And he is a really great guy who taught us how to live. But that's not the end of the story. But Paul knows that we have a weapon within our spiritual life. And that is overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is a beautiful thing. I think that's why he starts off with a great poem of thankfulness. That we are thankful people. We are people full of praise. We are people who spend time thanking God. We are people that are willing to give honor and glory to God in every area. Because when we, when we allow false doctrine to enter our lives, he knows that often people who go that route often become thankless. They, they lose the ability for true thankfulness because they lose connection with where all good things come from and all good things come from God. And thankfulness is the greatest gift that when you're facing difficult situations, we find thankfulness even in the hardest of times been proven that when you are suffering and struggling, that if you can find three things in the middle of that dark situation that you can be grateful for or thankful for, it's been scientifically proved on such a level that they wanted to teach it to every elementary school teacher in the inner city of, of, of American cities about resilience and resilience was formed out of thankfulness by not looking at the bad situation and the negativity but learning to be thankful for things that you are grateful in your life and it changes your life. The apostle knows this. He's saying you're under pressure. It's tough. But boy, don't just be thankful, be overflowing with thankfulness. How about if you live this week overflowing in thankfulness? I just, just start you overflowing. Husbands, towards your wives, thank you. That's not good enough. It's, you're going to be overflowing. Oh, Michelle, you're in for a good week. Honestly, you're in for a good week. Because I'm going, to, I'm going to have to preach, I'm going to have to live it, I'm going to be thankful. I'm not thankful, I'm just going to be overflowing. I don't know what that looks like, but you can let them know next week. Um, around your place of work, overflowing with thankfulness. Towards your children, overflowing with thankfulness. 
Because there is always ideas and concepts that will take us away from the supremacy of Christ. And that's why we're doing trunk or treat to show thankfulness to the community while we're in here interceding that God will move in revival in our city. Because this is rooted in his ministry and in his desire to pray and to step in. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we want to let the word of God do its work on us. These verses, we just pray, Lord, that these verses will be in their spirit and in their truth, will be released now into our lives in Jesus' name. We pray that these words from Colossians that were God-breathed and inspired through your apostle will just take hold and root in our lives and protect us from tumbleweed Christianity. Help us to have roots that are deep and a heart that is overflowing in thankfulness. I pray in Jesus' name.